Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Yes, folks, it is the end of the year, so it is uh, a time that we sit back and pause and reflect on all the great people that we lost uh, in in 2020. Um, But, uh, so it doesn't get too morose, we have our favorite guest with us. We will go on record and say he is our favorite guest. He continuously makes us laugh. Um, He is a brilliant performer who you can still see, even COVID has not stopped him, I will say that. He is consistently still performing in Zoom and YouTube, and you still see him everywhere. Thank God for that. Folks, he's been with us since the beginning of the podcast. It is the fabulous, the incredible, and the devilishly funny Leroy (laughs) Reams. Leroy, how are you today? Welcome back. (laughs) I'm still here. I'm still here. (laughs) I love that headshot. Leroy is giving us a fabulous Judy Garland face. Now, so Leroy, so... Since the last year that we've seen you, what have you been doing? How has your 2020 been? Well, it's it's been good. I mean, I I, I you know I have have to go out for certain things, but I'm very careful about wearing my mask and doing all the things we're supposed to do. Right. And then the York Theater did a, a show to raise money, and the wonderful Ricky uh, uh, Kane Larimer produced it, and we filmed it, we taped it in her apartment, and, you know, with two cameras, and so we did our acts, you know, Ben Vereen and Karen Mason and Clea Blackhurst and all of us uh, did that, and that was really kind of fun to do. <clears throat> it's strange, doing a club act at two o'clock in the afternoon with no <laughs> audience and two straight cameras, where you can only move a little bit here and a little bit there, and that was it. And then also just remembering everything, but, you know, Alex Rybeck, who is a, a wonderful accompanist, was at the piano, so we were in good hands. And uh, I didn't want to watch it because I'm too critical of myself, but it turned out well. Uh, I was uh, glad I did it when it was done, but I'll tell you, it's you lose your, you know, uh, your reason to keep going by not being <laughs> able to perform. It's terrible yeah. for all of us. And yeah. folks, we'll we will post the link so you can see it because um, you know this this video that Leroy did is a one man masterclass on on how you should do cabaret performance. Um, so if you have, <laughs> what'd you say or not? No, or not. <laughs> are you kidding? 
Leroy was funny <laughs> and charming as always. Absolutely. As always. So folks, as you know, Leroy is with us. We're going to go through. Now, you'll probably go, where was this person? Where was that person? We're sticking mostly to people that were, were known for the theatrical world. Yeah, that's right. The um, Broadway so, world, the theatrical ex- world. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there might even be some people from the Broadway world whose names we don't mention. No one should take personal offense. It's just that we... Yep. That's just who we happen to hit today. And we celebrate and uplift everybody who we celebrate on, on, on the Broadway world. Yeah. Exactly. And if you're, if you're living, or if you're listening to this, I should say years and years and years from now um you can't deny that COVID 19 pretty much dominated 2020 and uh the first real person who became sort of the face in terms of COVID 19 not only just for the broadway community but it seemed uh nationally was the great nick cordero yeah, nick definitely. nick who was uh 41 years old healthy as can be uh wife beautiful young child got it and then uh one thing after another, and then he he passes away at the age of forty one years old. So we're going to start with Nick today. So Leroy, I'll start I'll start with you because you are a song and dance man, and Nick was as well. Do you have any memories of seeing Nick on stage? Well, I, I saw him in, in in the what was that the the musical that he did? You know, he did Bullets Over Broadway. Bullets Over Broadway. Yeah. That's yeah. what I saw him in. Yes, I did not know him nor his wife. But uh, the people that did know him had nothing but kind, wonderful things to say. He was a great guy. And just what he had gone through with, you know, the slow demise of things going wrong and the months that he spent in the hospital is just so, I mean, horrifying. And and so once again, for our listeners, just a reminder, you know, he did uh, Bullets Over Broadway. He did uh, Waitress, Rock of Ages. He was he was a pretty big staple in the theater scene. And uh, but and I once saw the- him in, uh, and I saw him in Waitress, too, of course, I'd forgotten. Yes. That. Yeah. And Kevin, do you remember the first time you saw Nick on stage? I I think it was the uh, the Toxic Avenger musical. Um, that was one of his earlier parts that he did. Uh, and he just uh, is. Uh, fantastic you know it's it's like i just keep thinking of all the leading man roles that we could have seen nick cordero in and i'm so thankful that we have um you know that there's so many recordings and stuff and youtube clips that we can celebrate him um and he was the face of very much this pandemic and and the fact that like people like my mom's community in the middle of nowhere south carolina were, were uplifting his name and celebrating him and talking about him uh i thought um, that was a beautiful memorial, a way to to celebrate him and his family, because it's just otherwise it's just so unspeakably tragic. You know, you think of um, like you said, Kevin, all the things that he could have done had he passed. I mean, he didn't even hit fifty; he was only forty-one years old. And Bronx Tale, we also forgot to put Bronx Tale in there. Well, of course, well. that was a big thing for him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, um, I saw that too. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he he was one of those rare leading men that just oozed not only grounded charisma but had the goods to back it up as well. And could and, dance and could move yeah. and could like, I mean, you know, that sexy quality too. I mean, it's very, very good. And, yeah. and and one of the sweetest guys in the industry. And so now we're going gonna to pivot from uh, Nick, who had a lovely, uh, you know, resume up until he passed away to someone whose career um, was expansive and someone you would know, Leroy, I'm assuming. And that's the great Marge Champion. Yes. So tell us about your your association with Marge Champion. Well, uh, because of Hello, Dolly, uh, she wasn't involved in the productions I did, nor was Gower. 
but uh, Lucia Victor, who was the director, who was Gower's productive stage manager, took over control, and of course with Jerry, and just by happenstance and just being in the, the public realm of show business, Marge and I knew each other that way. And uh, I, uh, one of the first things she talked to me about, she when I was going to do my club act, and Marge gave me the best piece of advice. She said, well, you have to remember when you work in clubs, you have to work with the audience. You don't necessarily work to them. You have to involve them because of, of the casualness of it. And she said, it's, it's difficult because they're eating and drinking and talking. And sometimes it's hard to keep the attention, but that's part of the job that you do as a nightclub performer. And you have to look at them. You have to look at them when you talk and you have to involve them. And it was a, a very interesting process to get used to because being in the theater, there's that blackness and we just, you know, can, but you really have to connect with the audience and get them involved in what you're doing. And it, it, it was a, a very good thing for me as an actor because from doing club work, uh, when I would go into an audition situation, I would just pretend that I was going out to entertain the people in the room. So you walk in and also you have stories that you can tell or you have a, get a lot of, you know, material that you do in a club act that you can kind of throw in at an audition. So it was really very, very helpful. And Marge really, in speaking with me, taught me what to do in a nightclub because she and Gower had a nightclub act in the beginnings, you know, that they toured around. And, and it's very true. It's a whole different area because the people have distractions. You have to uh, work hard to keep them, uh, you know, involved in what you're doing. And, yeah. and of course, with Dolly on, on the, la the last production that I did of Dolly, which was Carol's second revival in 94, Marge was my date for the opening night of that performance. And I had made some changes in it. Uh, I had, uh, the whole, I mean, I don't want to necessarily get into all of that Dolly stuff, but the stuff that I made the changes for, she approved. And I know that I had restaged So Long Deary for Carol. And as a matter of fact, Carol Cook, uh, Channing at 76 did more dancing in uh, that revival than she did in the original production. Mm -hmm because I restaged so long, dearie, I gave her more movement. And also to me, that moment in the show was like a women's lib moment, you know? So, uh, and, and the whole attitude that I gave to Carol at that point was that, you know, Vandergelder says, you know, I wouldn't marry you if the last woman on earth. And the whole point is, oh, you don't want to marry me. Well, let me tell you something, Horace Vandergelder, I'm paraphrasing. You don't want me, I don't want you, but what I got is so good but you can't have it. So mm. wave your little hand and whisper so long, dearie. It's so good, but you can't have it. And it was sort of a tease. And then the women's liberation thing about I'm going to learn to dance and drink and smoke a cigarette. And it's so it gave Carol a whole new energy about the number. And the night of the performance, Marge turned to me and she said, you fixed it. I said, fixed what? She said, you fixed dearie. She said, Gower never had time. It was put in late. And she said, you really made that number work. And it's late in the second act. But she said, and I was so proud. And then I, I redid a lot of things in dancing where I showed her as a, uh, as a matchmaker, uh, putting the couples together. And in the end, uh, you know, she 
pantomime puts uh, Cornelius and Mrs. Malloy together. And then she, Barnaby, who wasn't in the end piece, just many things just skip around and go off. I have Barnaby stay on stage and I have Carol motion for him and he grabs her. So she pairs them all up. And so then she's left alone and that's when she says, let me go, Ephraim. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I was very proud of really getting to the heart of all of that. And Marge uh, was so kind in her words. And as a matter of fact, I, I can prove it because on uh, Michael Riedel and um, uh, the, the show, what was it, Theater Talk, mm -hmm. uh, they actually, Marge said it publicly. Oh. oh. But I, I really made Dolly <clears throat> even better. Good for Marge and with the legacy yeah. that she leaves behind. Um, and then let's pivot to another dancer if we can. And that's Tommy Rawl. Um, from uh, such shows as Milk and Honey, Call Me Madam, but we probably most remember him as Bill in the movie of Kiss Me Kate, a right. fellow song and dance man. Uh, Leroy, did you have any interaction with Tommy Rawl by any never, I never met Tommy. Uh, if I did, um, no, I, I never met him. I would certainly remember that because I thought he was terrific. Did he was attractive. He could really sing, yeah. really dance, and he was a good actor. So, yeah. And I, I always wondered, because I saw him in Milk and Honey, Mm. originally and very impressive and uh, I always felt he would have had a bigger career had he stayed in New York rather than going to California because the movies you know because he did Seven Brides for Seven Brothers but the MGM movies were then on the downslide as far as longevity so he kind of came in at the end as did Marge and Gower by the way yeah mm -hmm. uh, uh, he didn't but I, he should have had a much bigger career with the talent that he had it's just that that kind of mo movies went out of style now it sounds like he had a big effect on a lot of dancers though it feels like a lot of dancers looked up to him i mean he had a he was a he was a beacon in, in many ways he was certainly well respected because he could do everything really well yeah kevin who else is on our list well, I, you know, someone that I was just thinking about that was uh, I'm indirectly uh, affected by, uh, this is the mentor of my mentor, uh, Jerry Friedman. Uh, my mentor, uh, when I went to Baldwin-Wallace University, uh, her name is Victoria Bussert, and he was uh, he was at Great Lakes Theater Festival as the artistic director for many years, and then he went to North Carolina of the Arts. And she he taught her much, many things, uh, and she then, of course, uh, taught me. But um, he was, an, of course, an iconic director, uh, an educator, um, artist, uh, a professional that people really loved. I mean, you would know him from um, Hair, uh, Robert Bridegroom, um, and many, many pieces that he did. Leroy, did you ever work with him at all, or did you no. ever interact with no. him? Yeah. No, we never. Our, our paths never crossed. Now, didn't, didn't he also do the Grand Tour? He did. Yeah. yeah. He did the Grand Tour. And he assisted, I think, on West Side Story, on the original West Side Story. He was uh, an assistant uh, director on that. I didn't know him. Yeah, yeah. He, but he was beloved. I mean, he was just a very influential, uh, you know, maybe a name that people at home don't know, but he affected so many different people in the business. Yeah, and I believe he was uh, the first artistic director of the public theater, or one of the first artistic directors of the public <laughs> theater. Um, yes. And he did direct the first incarnation of Hair, and he's the one yes. who brought Hair to Joe Papp. Um, and then I, when it went to Broadway, obviously he didn't he didn't stay with it. But Tom, yeah, he's he's one of those directors, sort of like the off Broadway guy. Yeah, yeah, one of the off Broadway guys. But you know, he did do the Grand Tour with Jerry Herman. 
someone who I think you and I both uh, loved, a Canadian actor who, uh, if you were a tenor in the 1990s, <clears throat> you would definitely loved all of the songs of Brent Carver. Um, Brent Carver, who was in, in Kiss of the Spider Woman, uh, Parade, uh, he, he was a Stratford uh, theater actor uh, and, and would often come to uh, Broadway as, as our special guest from Canada and, and always uh, and, and had just uh, the most incredible acting chops as well as in, he had a voice kind of like Mandy Patinkin, like that kind of an individual that was no one quite sang like him or would flip to his head voice the way that Brent Carver would. Um, but uh, I, I was I grew up just being a huge fan of his work and, and appreciative every single time that I got to hear him or see him live on stage. And he won the Tony Award, right, for playing yeah. Melina in Kiss of the right. Spider-Woman. Yeah. And then he was a brilliant Leo Frank in oh, Parade. Yeah. Um, and is just just one of those actors who brought so much humanity to everything that he did and also left us just way, way too way soon. Way too young. Yeah, way too young. I was, I was very sad when I found out that he that he left us. I, I really liked his work. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll raise we'll raise a glass to Mr. Brent Carver. Um, uh, one of a character actor who, growing up in Los Angeles, we saw this person all the time, um, and that's the great Orson Bean, well, um, who we might remember from such things as you know. Um, uh, subways are for sleeping. Uh, but he really uh, was one of those individuals in Los Angeles who really pushed for the the local L.A. playwrights, the local L.A. directors to be seen. And when I heard he died at 91 years old, 91 years old, I assume, well, maybe it was old age or something. He had just done a performance and he was walking across the street and he got hit by a car. No. He died from a, a car accident, not old age, oh, but he, he was performing man. right up until the end. And he's he's one of the people that said, you know, somebody asked him once, what are you famous for? And he said, I'm famous for being famous, <laughs> um, which is which is a, which I think is a fantastic, fantastic line um, over from from England. Um, we have the fantastic Diana Rigg, um, oh. who, who was last seen uh, in My Fair Lady as uh, Henry Higgins's mother. Um, but before that, obviously, she had an amazing career from the Avengers, but also uh, an iconic Medea. Uh, as far as I hear. She was also in the London Follies where she played Phyllis. Um, you mm-hmm. can listen to that recording. You can listen to this, folks, on an episode we did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but Peter Felicia has a great Diana Riggs story. Uh, and the, sto- the story goes that he was about to interview her. And they're sitting backstage in the green room. And he says, I have to ask you about the musical Colette that you did. And she said, you know, it was a t- terrible failure and it's all my fault. It was me. I didn't know what to do with it. I I wasn't up for it. It was me. The whole production's failure rests on me. It's me. It's me. It's me. They go out to do this Q&A in front of like 200 people. And he says, I want to ask you about Colette. And she says, it was Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt's fault. They didn't know how to write for me. It was all their fault. And immediately in public, <laughs> the blame on everybody else. Oh, God. And, an incredible, incredible performer who, like I said, I heard her, her Medea was something to behold. And another, we're also going in this Medea route, um, Zoe Caldwell. Of course. Uh, yeah. Zoe Caldwell, the great, the great four-time Tony Legend. Award winner. Gene Brody, 
uh, once again, an, another iconic Medea. And uh, what I got to see her in for the first time on stage, which was Masterclass, mm-hmm. uh, where she played Maria Callas in just a revolutionary performance. Gentlemen, any memories of seeing her on stage or maybe getting to interact with her? Oh, yes. Lots, lots of memories. The first, the first memory I have of Zoe, and I can call her Zoe because I knew her. And we, we cruised with the Theater Guild, Theater at Sea, together. Yeah. So I have personal stories, but without before I knew her, I uh, went to the last performance of Medea or Medea, depending on who says it, right. and uh, with Dame Judith Anderson. And I was down at, a, at the 26th Street flea market. I had two bags of goodies. And, I, and, and also, Bacall was closing and Woman of the Year that same day. So I was down with these bags from the flea market. I thought, you know, I should really, I didn't see Medea and I should really go see that. So I went up to the theater with these two bags and it's closing with a, 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 a matinee. I, no, no, it was, it was the evening. So I went up with, with my two bags. And uh, so uh, there was a person standing outside with an extra ticket, which I bought. I was the very front row center. I mean, it was like I was in the show like this, watching it. And it was quite wonderful. And she just was incredible. The the energy and the power, and you understood every word, and seeing Dame Judith Anderson, the only time I ever saw her. So at the end of the performance, the audience is going crazy and they're screaming. And uh, uh, Zoe comes forward and she's, you know, that I'm paraphrasing now, but there's a thank you, thank you. I just want to tell all of you today how privileged you are to have been here and observed and watched, and you will tell your family for years to come, that you were fortunate enough to see Dame Judith Anderson as the nurse and my dear. They all went, ah! <laughs> so, <laughs> Dame Judith Anderson struggles forth, and she goes, my darling, there are no words that can express what's in my heart today, except to say that I love you, so I love you all, and goodbye, Broadway. Well, I start crying, and everybody, ah! and as we're exiting the theater, as I'm going up the aisle, this kid is coming down, some young, you know, effeminate kid, and he's got a tape recorder. And as we're going down to the stage now, and I'm picking up a flower from the stage to put into my book, the audience is going crazy. He's doing like a blow by blow account of this thing. It was so funny. And I still have my two bags of goodies I got from the flea market. Oh, God. <laughs> Kevin, who else is on our list? Well, uh, a, a musical theater composer uh, who is another victim of, of the COVID uh, pandemic, um, Adam Schlesinger, uh, who is a who we know from writing Crybaby the musical, but also wrote for television. Um, my crazy ex girlfriend was in the process of writing the Nanny musical on Broadway with uh, Fran Drescher, um, and uh, we just another young person that we lost way, way, way too soon, uh, and is quite tragic. And then. Uh, and sometimes we don't know the faces or we don't see the writers as much as we do. Also, Herbert Kretzmer, uh, who wrote Les Mis, he was the, the, the English translator for uh, Les Miserables, the musical, which he didn't have. He was like a lawyer. He didn't really have much, you know, wasn't into theater as much, but he knew the right people and he got hired for the job. But um, he was a poet, actually, um, but, and spoke French and English. But uh, there was two writers of American musical theater, I think, that we, we lost this past year. Yeah, Rob? Um, no, agreed. And so, I mean, if nothing else, Adam Schle- Messenger has given every single girl auditioning screw loose. I knew you were going to say that. I knew. 
to put in her book. And we thank him for that, if nothing else. And of course, the incredible score uh, to the episodes of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. While we're talking about writers, I noticed, I mean, this was just a sad coincidence this year, that uh, three of the most prolific gay playwrights all died this year. Uh, Mark Crowley, who wrote The Boys in the Band, uh, Terrence McNally, who we interviewed and we'll talk about a little bit later on, and uh, Larry Kramer, who wrote The Normal Heart. Um, all three of these men pushed uh, gayness out onto the stages, and all three passed away this year. So, Leroy, you were, we were talking about this a little bit before. Did you get to see the original Boys in the Band? Yes. I did. Can you tell us, as a gay man, what was that experience like seeing gay men on stage? Well, it was very provocative. And, uh, you know, people were afraid to go to the show that if they went to it, they might know that they're gay, you know. So it was a whole it was a whole different way of looking at it. But it was very, you know, a big hit. And everyone did want to go see it. And it was spellbinding. It was now... The people that he depicted, obviously, he saw that way, but the uh, negativity of the gay image uh, was very prominent in that play. And uh, so, you know, I didn't deal with that in my personal experience, but I knew that it did exist. But people being sorry that they were gay and, you know, what it did. Uh, so, But it was an aspect to, to be dramatized, not saying it was real life or the way I knew it, but uh, it, it, was, it was quite something. And it, it was a, a leader in the path. And I didn't see the revival of it because I was so overwhelmed by seeing it originally uh, but yeah, as, as it was a great piece of theater. And folks, if you've, if you've not seen the boys in the band, like Kevin was saying, we have two versions available. We have the original movie with the original Broadway cast, and we have uh, the revival cast uh, that just recently came out on Netflix. Uh, both are really, really fantastic. We'll talk about Terrence McNally at the end when we talk about our guests who unfortunately have passed away throughout the year. So let's go to Larry Kramer, um, who wrote The Normal Heart and was probably known as much for his activism as his playwriting. Can you tell us a little bit, uh, you've talked about this before and I would love for just our listeners to be reminded, when AIDS hit the Broadway theater community, what were some of the things that you were doing, like Larry Kramer, to help get the word out about what was going on? Well, it was a, a, a horrific time because so many friends were dying. And uh, I know that uh, we did a benefit down at... Uh, uh, the, the place that was the, the restaurant there that uh, Bob Nahas uh, ran, was it called uh, Curtain Up? Kurt, yes, there was a, yeah. Curtain Up. And we did a benefit there and all of the, uh, uh, they asked me to, to be one of the people to be on the, you know, the list to raise money. So I said, yeah, I gave them my name. I was the only male on the list. Mm. It was Dorothy Loudon, um, um, Let's see, Christine Andreas, uh, uh, all of those, those we, well, a bunch of us were, but they were all women, Cheetah, and, uh, you know, a lot of women, but I was the only man because no one wanted to be associated with it or have their name there. I didn't even think twice about it. And uh, when I had done a cruise with uh, Helen Hayes, and we got to know each other very well, she was just an incredible woman. 
And she, they named a wing at the uh, one of the hospitals after her. Uh, and I can't, why can't I think of the hospital now? It's my age. But it was the wing of a hospital, and it was named after Helen Hayes. And she said, Leroy, when we get back on land, would you like to come and spend an afternoon with me? Because I know the guys would know who you are, and would you come? And mm-hmm. I said, absolutely, Helen. If you go, I'll go. But people didn't even want to go into the wards because they were really sure how they were catching it and all of that. I mean, all of the, it was a crazy, crazy time. And women were afraid to kiss their gay friends. Afraid they were, I mean, it was just... And, on stage too, some of the women didn't want to kiss the gay men, you know, in the performance. Mm-hmm. No names mentioned, but that's the way it was. Yeah. And uh, we went into the the, uh, the ward that day, and I went in with Helen Hayes, like you know, there we were, Clara Barton and uh, you know Florence Nightingale walking into the ward. It was kind of one of it was heartbreaking. I I had to really pull myself together because I saw these beautiful young men looking like cadavers in their beds. Mm-hmm. And we would walk in and we would sit on the bed and hold their hand and talk to them and try to be funny and amusing and entertaining. Uh, it was terrible. Well, God bless you for you and Helen Hayes for, for going in and, and doing that at a time where nobody else wanted to. And uh, obviously, you know, the great Larry Kramer, who wrote The Normal Heart, which was really one of the first plays, as, as, as well as as is, to deal with the AIDS crisis um, and really sort of lit a fire under the asses of so many New York politicians. It's so interesting that the, uh, the obituary for Larry Kramer that was, I believe, in uh, Time Magazine, was written by Dr. Anthony Fauci, who, or or, no, The New Yorker, I believe, who said that uh, Larry Kramer was the biggest pain in his ass um, in the best way possible. Um, A a total advocate in that, and and, and was criticized for the way he did by some, but yet was effective. And so uh, it was very, very important for that uh, yeah, what a what a what a and, and to use art and politics together. We don't we don't always see that in in our and especially on Broadway. Uh, so uh, really beautiful. Uh, a rare, work a rare did. like finding a needle in a haystack. Kev, who else is on that list? Well, uh, someone who we owe a lot of gratitude because we we've sort of taken up the mantle in a very small way. I mean, not to to equate the work that we do and the research we do to the great uh, James Lipton, um, but um, I, I would have to mention him because yeah. he was the one who really started to do these in-depth interviews, but also gave the world, world Sherry the musical, I will remind everybody, that was discovered in a warehouse, and they found the score to that, and they recorded it, um, which is the what the man who came to dinner, the musical that he wrote in the 60s, but James Lipton, the, the head of the actor's studio, and, and, a, and a great advocate for celebrating uh, theater artists and capturing their stories and and understanding the way actors and artists work and celebrating that. What a great man. Um, they yes. produced a, a special about the American Dance Machine mm. that I did for Jimmy with uh, uh, Gwen Verdon, of course. And one of the, you know, highlights of my life being with Gwen Verdon, I can tell you that. Oh, my God. Uh, really? Jimmy was just a, such a great, great guy. He was, you know, one of us. He, you know, was part of the group and he always had a very positive attitude and and, and it was a joy recording that session of, of doing the American Dance Machine, which, by the way, you can get on YouTube so you can see all of that. And that was one of Jimmy's things. And I got a Christmas card from he and Katakai every year. And whenever I saw him socially, he was... Uh, accessible and wonderful and 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 loved the business and loved the people in it so it was easy to be in his company 
Yes, you could tell he did. He respected yes. the people involved. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, a, a great, a great, great guy, host of Inside the Actor Studio. I have a, a quick story about him. Um, we uh, we were doing a show at Fifty Four Below, and we were going to sing a song from Sherry. And so I had to email him and ask permission to do it. And I get a phone call from him, and I, you know, I, I grew up idolizing him, so I start trembling and I go, "Hello," and he goes. Yes, um, you know, I, I would love for you to do uh, Sherry. I just, uh, I just have a couple of casting stipulations for the song, and I said sure. And I said, who would you like? And he goes, I want uh, Nathan Lane and um, uh, Bernadette Peters. <laughs> For fifty-four below, for, for one, one song, yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. and I, I said, I said, I said, you do realize that we only pay, you know, five dollars and a drink ticket, and that's only if you're, you know, you've won a couple of Tonys. And he said, oh, okay. Well, obviously, I can't ask Bernadette or Nathan, so I'll do it. I'll sing it, and um, I'm wondering who we can get for the woman. And I said, well, what about uh, Christine Baranski? And he said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I said, how How come? I said, I think she's a genius. He goes, if I put her in this, then I'm going to have to put her on my fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, we didn't do the number. <laughs> That's a good one, Rob. That's a I, really good one. I, I loved him. He was a, he was a genius. I'll, t- I'll tell you, Rob, I think that probably uh, Nathan and Bernadette might have even done it just because of Jimmy. They might have made a guest appearance. Because uh, they're, they're good people. I mean, yes. for the money, you're right. You know. Oh, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. Indeed. I'm sure they would have done it. Um, Kevin, who else is on that list besides Mr. Lipton? Uh, definitely, I have to talk about Armelia McQueen because we've interviewed every single other person from Ain't Misbehaving, uh, the original cast, and we we you know I it's we often lament when we I hate saying miss somebody, but we someone was on our list, so we we had reached out to a, a handful of these people. Rob, I mean, you're the one yeah. who reaches out to them, and 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 we just don't we don't get the chance to talk to them and capture their story. But she was definitely on on our list, and 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 an incredible performer, um, and I, I yeah. And also on the younger side of things. So, folks, if you you know Amelia McQueen from something, yeah, from from, great actress from Ain't Misbehaving. Um, And if you want to hear more about her, you can listen to our episode with Charlene Woodard that we did a few a few weeks ago. And or you can listen to our interview with Andre DeShields or or Ken Page. Uh, Leroy, did you ever get a chance to work with Armelia? No, no. No? I met her socially, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe once or twice in passing, but no, we 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 didn't know each other. A brilliant actress, Kev. Who else is on that list? Brian Dennehy, I mean, a, a, a powerhouse of actors. I mean, I was—I've been watching a lot of documentaries lately, and um, and even uh, I watched uh, doing research when we talked to Nathan Lane and and their relationship and how long they had been friends, and it just um, really. Um, an actor's actor. I remember when I met him once. Um, I had, I was, I think I was in high school, and he had just done Death of a Salesman, um, and uh, it, which was, if you've not seen it, thank God it was filmed. He's, he's, yeah. uh, he was such a brilliant interpreter of both Arthur Miller and Eugene O'Neill. Uh, and no, nobody in this time frame does it better than him. That character uh, type, yeah, the, yeah, the weary, um, tired, yeah. And I remember uh, he had he played Willie Loman, and somebody knew his agent or something, and so it was a it was a school trip, and they're like, "We're going to all bring you backstage. You get to meet Brian Dennehy." And we all went into his dressing room. I'll never forget this. There was nothing on the dressing room table except the largest bottle of Scope mouthwash and the <laughs> and 
the largest bottle of Jack Daniels and, <laughs> and both had maybe a quarter left in it. And so he's obviously, he's just given this brilliant performance. He's exhausted and he's just looking at us and someone goes, well, we can ask Mr. Dennehy one question. Um, and he goes, I'm going to stop you right there. If it's about, you know, being an actor, I'll tell you right now, don't do it. Be a dentist. And he got up and he left. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Be a dentist. He got up. We never saw the man again. Brilliant actor. Um, Doreen Montalvo. Oh, my um, God. Who uh, died very young in her 50s of a stroke. Um, and she was in, in the Heights. She was in On Your Feet. And she was doing Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, and, then, and then she passed away. So a shout out to Doreen Montalvo, who also left us um, way, way, way too soon. Um, and also a little musical theater, uh, the wonderful Peggy Pope, um, who's an actress that was in Dr. Jazz. She was in Harvey with Jimmy Stewart. But you probably all know her, folks, if you're a 9 to 5 fan, the movie. She's the alcoholic that just keeps saying, a girl. Over and over again. Anytime someone does something great. She, a brilliant character actress. Uh, she also passed away this year. So add a girl to Peggy Pope. Um, oh Kev, who else is on that list? Uh, Ming Cho Lee. Uh, one of the most prolific set designers out there, educators as well, like had to, you know, taught everybody how to do it. I want to say I mean, that's hyperbolic, but it really was a fantastic teacher as well as through over 300 productions. Just just a prolific career. Yeah. From, from Yale University. Yeah. Um, and he was known as the dean of American set design. That's right. Um, he assisted Joe Milziner. He had done a bunch of stuff at the public. Um, just a really, like you said, I think the, the thing he's probably known, for, one of the things he's known for, and folks, we'll, maybe we'll post photos of this if we can, is his set design for the show K2, uh, which took place on the side of a mountain. A two-hander mountain. Yes, it's absolutely <laughs> stunning and gorgeous. And so we will uh, we will post photos of that so you can see his genius. Oh, and also, um, a lighting designer, um, who I'm sure will inspire many, many lighting designers because he was the lighting designer on Hamilton. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the great Howell Binkley, um, a Tony Award winner, uh, lung cancer at the age of 64 years old. Um, um, you know, he did uh, Jersey Boys. He did Hamilton. He did In the Heights. He did Kiss of the Spider Woman, uh, Come From Away, Ain't Too Proud. A real, real brilliant, brilliant Gross. lighting designer. Um, and I'm sure with everyone who's in love with Hamilton, um, I'm sure you're going to see so many young people say that his work was an inspiration for them to get in the field. And just how absolutely incredible is that? Let me ask you folks, um, did anyone have any interaction with Merwin Ford? I never had. I think I, I, think <sighs> I can't remember whether he was in Beauty and the Beast or not. But he was the husband at the time. With uh, Becky Baxter, Rebecca Baxter, and we did showboat for um, a paper mill. And I think he was married to her. So, folks, he was uh, one of the most iconic standbys and understudies. Um, yes. He had st stood by for Nathan Lane. His big thing was he had done um, in the seventeen seventy six revival. He got to actually have a nice featured moment as Richard Henry Lee from. Uh, and if you can go onto YouTube, you can see him performing. But just one of those people who lived, breathed, and slept theater, and was just one of those people. If you mentioned his name, everyone's eyes would light up. Or if you had him in the show, that you you just knew you were in good hands. Other That's character right. actors had sort of fall into that category was uh, the great Jerry Stiller, um, who's probably best known now as, you know, being the father from Seinfeld, George Costanza's father on Seinfeld, but was a huge 
uh, comedy team with his wife, Anne Mara, um, and uh, did a lot of the public theater plays at the beginnings of its time. Can you believe he was a great Shakespearean actor, which is hard to believe when you think of, you know, Jerry Sometimes Stiller. the funniest people, like Leslie Nielsen, you know, the funniest people started out as, you know, serious actors. Absolutely. There was the, uh, the great Peg Murray, who played uh, Fraulein Coast in mm-hmm. uh, the original Cabaret. She won a Tony Award for that. Mm-hmm. She must have been brilliant if she won a Tony Award for such a, a small role. Right. Um, yeah. the, the great Anthony Chisholm, who did four of the ten August Wilson plays oh. on Broadway, um, was a brilliant, brilliant actor. He also left us too soon. Uh, Mark Blum, who was uh, a really lovely character actor. Um, if you're, a f- okay, television fans, if you're a fan of Wings, if you remember the show Wings, you might remember Roy on Wings, who was the big guy that, you know, sort of ran the airport, an actor by the name of David Schramm. He passed away this year. And it's so interesting, you look at the sitcom actor, his entire stage career, he was known as being one of the best interpreters of Chekhov and Shakespeare. But there there he is on a, on a sitcom. There you and, go. And nobody would even think of it. Let's talk about some producers. Yeah, we Roger lost... Roger Berland, because the show, I, Little Night Music, was he was our producer on that. So Roger Berland, who I think is second to having the most Tony Awards after Hal Prince. He had, mm-hmm. I think, 25 or so. Just a couple of Roger's credits. Nine Sophisticated Ladies, The Rink, Jerome Robbins Broadway, City of Angels, The Revival of Guys and Dolls, Carolina Change, many, many others. And uh, uh, Bernard Gersten from... Um, who was an associate producer at The Public and then became the executive producer over at Lincoln Center, and the great Margot Lyon, um, yeah. who, who shepherded such shows as Hairspray to Broadway. So we lost three big ones, three big ones this year mm-hmm. in terms of producing. Kevin, did you you said that, uh, did Roger Berlin produce a little night music that you were in? I think he was a co-producer, I believe, yeah. Yeah, yeah with uh, Br- Steve Rook and um, that team. I forget, it was so long ago. The Frankel yeah. Group and stuff. Yes, yeah, I mean, that's right. Yeah. A, a guy who just absolutely loved theater well that's how they're they were you know all producers it's about making money but like if there's a producer who also has an eye on the art who says you know that's on time that's some good stuff it's not just about building the most shiny object possible um i i really respect those those kinds of producers that will take on a, a harder piece so that they can, you know, or take a big show so they can take a little show and shepherd that to Broadway. Like uh, Carolina Change, for instance. You know, they, no, they, that was never going to be a hit. They knew that. I, yeah, and I agree. I think what, what these three individuals really should get, get credit for is they took shows, honestly, that a lot of, I think, other producers would have said, huh? You want to do what? And said, no, we believe in it and we're going to bring it to Broadway. And that's, uh, it gets rarer and rarer as time goes on. Well, hello there. This is Shirley Booth. Oh, I used to be a Broadway baby. (laughs) Now I'm more of a middle age. But whatever age you are, we can help keep Broadway behind the curtain on the air. Just head over to Patreon.com. Oh, sure, get a pencil. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. You got that? Oh, just search behind the curtain. Broadway's Living Legends. Set a monthly donation. Oh, even a dollar helps. Oh, sure. Mr. B gives. Hello. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's talk about a couple of directors that we lost uh, this year. First of all, a great film director, um, Alan Parker, who did the film versions of Evita, Bugsy Malone, Fame, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Um, and of course, the, uh, a man who I'm sure was a brilliant director. I just don't know if it was on this show. Uh, he, uh, Terry Hands, who directed uh, Carrie the musical, the the, first, <laughs> the original Carrie the musical. Was Before, isn't Royal Shakespeare Company? Isn't isn't he? he yes, he was RSC, right. that so. classic musical theater, you know, <laughs> producing entity. So Terry Hands, I have heard this story, and I love this story, and I think. Kevin, correct me if Barry Weisler told us this story, because they were the producers of Carrie, Mm -hmm. which is um, they, and you have to remember Terry Hands now, Royal Shakespeare Company, right? Very very Mm -hmm. highfalutin. Um, They did a workshop of Carrie. And it was very serious, and uh, very every everything felt very adult, even though the whole Stratford, yeah, yes. So it took place in a high school and all that stuff. and uh, Terry Hands, after he directed it, uh, the workshop went up to Barry and Fran Weissler and said, do you have any notes? And Barry said, yeah, it has to, Greece, Greece. It's got to be more like Greece. <laughs> and Terry said, okay. And then when they came back, everyone was in white togas and there were columns everywhere. And they said, no, 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 Terry. Steps. <laughs> Greece, the musical. Not ancient Greece, and so if you if you see if you see photos of the original Carrie, it looks like a Greek tragedy. Barry confirmed that. I think Barry confirmed that story when we spoke to him. And we're going to now talk about a couple of other people um, that are, are sort of on the periphery of this uh, of of our field, but we felt should be mentioned. One of them is uh, he brought he was a big theater lover, and that's Alex Trebek, who hosted Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, and was uh, one of the best, if not the best, game show host you've ever seen in your life um, in, in a cultural institution. Um, he, this actor just appeared in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix, which is fantastic. Also the star of Black Panther, uh, the great Chadwick Boseman, who died oh, way, God. way too soon. Um, Leroy, I'm so curious. Did you have any interaction with Olivia de Havilland? No. No, I never met her, but she was very, very close friends to Robert Osborne. Mm. Ah. And uh, Robert Osborne was just one of the great people. He was just a wonderful person. It's, it's interesting that he, at his memorial service, Alec Trebek was there. And as Bob and I, my now deceased husband, Bob, uh, we went to the memorial service and uh, Alec was in front of us 
Alex was in front of us. And as he opened the door, he said, oh, gentlemen, please. And he let us go in first, which was mm. really, he was very comfortable. He was by himself and very comfortable in his skin. And I, so I said, well, thanks so much. I said, by the way, I love your show. And we laughed. He <laughs> couldn't have been loved. A very, very nice man. And he was there at, uh, at, at Bob Osborne's memorial service. Oh, okay. But Olivia de Havilland was really, really close friends with Robert Osborne and she had a long and happy life. And, you know, I've never heard anyone ever really say anything bad about her. And that whole thing with she and her sister, I don't know yeah. how much of that is true and how much is, and it, it is what it is, but uh, uh, her personally, everyone loved her. And 104 years old folks, uh, probably best known for playing Melanie in Gone with the Wind, um, a New York institution and then an American institution that's Regis Philbin of uh, Regis and Kathy Lee. Did you have any interaction with him, Leroy? Did yes, you... yes. Regis was a terrific guy. And Regis, you know, went out and saw shows. Yeah. He went out to the theater, and I know it, uh, as a matter of fact, that night for the opening night of Carol's Revival in 94 when Marge was with me, Regis was a friend from, hey, Leroy, how are you? I said, I said so anyway, wh why are you here? You, I said, I directed it, Regis. <laughs> <laughs> So he laughed, and then he and uh, in the beginning of Forty Second Street, I was only on his show once right. with Forty Second Street, and uh, I, I taught him a tap step or something silly like that. But uh, yeah, he was a, a great, friendly guy, and really supported the industry, and went to everything, and and he was he was a really nice guy. Yeah, I, I used to see him and his wife Joy a lot um, yeah. at theater, and and gracious as can be, people would go at least from what I saw, people would go up to him. He'd sign autographs. He'd talk. He was. Um, he knew. He knew that he had a, a, um, a reputation to uphold, and and really was as friendly off stage as he was on stage. Um, yeah. uh, friends that uh, watch Glee, uh, Naya Rivera. Oh, um, yeah, the great Naya Rivera, um, who uh, was was a star of Glee, uh, died in a horrible drowning accident, uh, much much too young. Um, if you're a fan of improv, he was probably the best improviser uh, that anyone has ever seen. He was the great Fred Willard, um, who uh, was probably best remembered, if you're a theater person, uh, uh, from Waiting for Guffman waiting for Guffman, and then uh, continued his relationship with Christopher Guest. But if you're a theater person, you had to have seen Waiting for Guffman. He is the uh, travel agent. He's Catherine O'Hara's husband, um, who thinks he's the the greatest thing to have ever walked walked his the stage. Notes, they, they worked with Corky before. He, he knows uh, he knows how to strike things. Yes, he he takes the chair away, right? And he's like, "You want me to strike mm -hmm. it? I've done shows mm -hmm. with Corky before. Yeah. I know all the terminology." Their whole audition, his his audition with Catherine O'Hara when they like do their whole medley. Yeah, they God, do Midnight good. at the Oasis. Midnight um, at the Oasis. Well, I'm assuming that you've seen the next person we're going to talk about, and that's from the Carol Burnett show, the great Lyle Wagner. And I was I was on the Carol Burnett show the first three months as a dancer for Ernie Flat, who was the choreographer. Oh. And uh, Lyle was a lovely, very nice guy. Sweet had a lovely wife, and uh, everyone liked him. He was a, a real down to earth kind of guy. But mm. I didn't know him well. Only you know that we worked together for three months, and then I had enough of doing television dancing. I came back to New York. Was was he as attractive off stage as he was on screen? Yeah. Okay, great. That's all I need to know. And <laughs> a brilliant, also a brilliant businessman because, folks, uh, when you look at star tra tra uh, trailers that you know that the actors go into on movie shoots, he created that company and owned tons of them. They're called Star Wagons, W A G G 
O-N, as in Lyle Wagner. So uh, not only attractive, but uh, profitable. And now we're going to, oh, you know what? You know, she died today. She died today. And that's Dawn Wells uh, from from Gilligan's Island. Oh. 82 years old, COVID. Um, The reason I'm mentioning her is, yes, she had a, a magnificent television show, but she was a staple of summer stock and regional theater up until about a couple of years ago. She she worked consistently, consistently. I had a few interactions with her, and she was just absolutely lovely. Um, so I, I wanted to mention her because that sort of goes away, doesn't it? Those uh, television and movie stars who then go to do summer stock and, and stuff like that. Um, we lost a lot of people this year, um, more than more so than usual, um, that were uh, uh, guests of ours that ended up uh, passing away. So I'm I'm going to start first if I can. I'm not going to mention a guest. I'm going to mention a very faithful listener who passed away. Um, my my mom passed away in yeah. 2020. I'm so um, sorry, Rob. Thank yeah. you, thank you. Um, horrible, horrible circumstances. All of it. Just yeah, you know, it's 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 just a, it's it's a thing. Losing um, a parent is never is 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 it's a is one of the great tragedies of life that we go we everyone has to go through, and yet it's like no one prepares you for that uh, yeah. ever. And I remember when we first started doing this, I remember, Kev, I think, you know, your father passed away and then, you know, Bob passed away. And now and now it's my turn. It's my turn to have the loss. So um, she she was the first person to introduce me to uh, theater. And and for that, I will always, always be grateful. You were like four when they took you to yes. Broadway, Rob. Like, I yes. will never get over the fact that your mom and dad brought you to theater at such a young age. They, <laughs> like you have that memory, and I love that. I, I, love I, that. I I'm, vi- I'm very fortunate. I'm very, very fortunate. And like the collecting that you did and all of that, that they, like, let you – I mean, you were, like – you were into lots of oh, stuff as a kid. Yeah, I mean, you know, she, she loved it, therefore I loved it, and I remember on – on weekends, my mother and father, uh, when I was a baby to entertain me, would drive up and down, um, you know, 43rd Street, 44th Street, and let me look at all the, the Broadway marquees because I liked how shiny they were. Oh, gosh, um, I love that. So I, I lost my mom in February. And so now it's it's my turn to have a year where we go, oh, I've lost someone special. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's her. And uh, now let's talk about some of the guests that we that we lost and i'm sure that you know leroy i know that you have relationships with with some of these people the first guest that we lost in march uh, due to covid was uh terrence mcnally um kev do you want to talk a little bit about when we got to actually interview terrence it was McNally? just one of those magical experiences that you know rob and i will often do an interview much like the first time we met leroy mm-hmm. actually when we went to your house because it's very rare that we actually go to the guest's house you know like tony walton we went to his like that big that huge old compound on whatever street that is in leroy's townhouse but to go and 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 to go in that environment um was was kind of magical because you feel like you're a part of their world and Terrence was there and he had his people were there, but we sat at the table. He's given tons of interviews. He's done this before. He's, he's beloved. He, he was so into what we were talking about and so open and gracious. And I learned that this is a, a, this was a man who, who still went to theater to discover new talent was still searching for the next great thing was still creating art at all times. Um, and I guess the thing I learned was that to, to never, you're never stopping. You're never, ever, you're always fuel. You're always finding more fuel for that fire. Uh, and I think that the fire that he had was really a burn strong and it was, a, he was really special. He was, he was a professional. 
He mm, knew total how pro. to write. Total pro. Like Neil Simon. They were professional writers. They did it. That's what they, that was their job. So it wasn't they had to be inspiring. They, that's their profession. So they were always writing. Whether it was good or bad or indifferent, that's what they did, constantly writing. And you have mm. to admire them for having that, uh, you know, desire and that will to do. Yeah. yeah, I, you know, and I think one of the things that was revealed to me, at least, and Kevin, once again, I can't speak for you, is when we interviewed him, we came in, I think, with, you know, lists of questions we wanted to ask him. Um, I I feel like there was a show going on at the time. Remember, his publicist was there. Frankie and Johnny, because we were a little thrown. We were like, oh, we only are going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about, you know. And we And we sat down, and I don't know how it came up. He started talking about when I was a kid, I saw this show and I second acted that show and I saw this show and I saw this one. And it was like a kid in a candy store. All he wanted to do was not talk about himself or his work per se. He didn't even want to talk about Frankie and Johnny. He wanted to talk about all the great theater he had seen over the years and all the great theater he was still seeing. And that there was not a night that went by where he really was not in a theater someplace, whether it was a Broadway theater or some church basement in the middle of Soho. He was there. Mm-hmm. He was there. He had such a voracious appetite for art. And I hope that new playwrights realize that not only do you have to create art, you also have to immerse yourself in other people's art besides your own. Mm-hmm. That's right. That was the lesson we, I think we took away from Terrence McNally. And then um, a, a lovely guest, uh, Leroy, you and I both got to work with this gentleman, albeit briefly, and that's the great Billy Goldenberg, um, a composer who's probably best known for uh, Ballroom. Uh, I'm sorry, a lyricist who's best known for uh, a Ballroom and the great song 50%. Um, yeah. And I was very lucky. I got to do Ballroom at 54 Below. Uh, for Billy. And uh, I was really lucky because Leroy was in it and Leroy and Lonnie Ackerman sang a song together and brought down the freaking house. It was a, it was an evening. We had them. We had Marilyn May. Um, It was, it was a special, she sang 50% and it was special. Um, Leroy, did you ever have any sort of interaction with Billy before or after that? Yes. Well, before my first audition, my first job in New York city was the Julia Prowse nightclub act. Of course. Yeah, we've talked a lot about that and, with you. And the, uh, Kander and Ebb were the, were the writers for the act, and Billy Goldenberg was the, did the music and was the conductor. And that's when I first met Billy, back that far ago. That was 1965. Oh, my gosh. And, and we never worked together past that. We remained friendly during yep. the years. But, uh, you know, yeah. And Billy, uh, folks, uh, you know, if you're if you're a B. Arthur fan, he was B. Arthur's music director for oh, years and years and years. Her. And yeah. he had some very good stories about I liked him. He's like Leroy. He 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 let it all out. He yeah. didn't even there was no hiding. Like he gave the real Michael Bennett stories. He he <laughs> yeah. he really gave the truth, like what their experience in ballroom was like and how frustrating it was and all of that. It's a great interview. You should check it out. Sweet, everyone. sweet man. Yeah, you know, I I don't think I've ever asked you this, Leroy, but I'm going to ask. Did you ever have any interaction with B. Arthur? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, uh, we did the Jerry Herman uh, Hollywood Bowl. Oh, yeah. 
Leroy, it's one of my favorite videos ever. I still watch it. Don Pippen, my favorite music director, and yeah. you, you, you killed that production. I just had to say that to you just before you keep going because it's one of my favorites. Well, keep going. Had, it, 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 because there were so many people, there weren't enough dressing rooms, so they had like the green room was out of doors. They had tons of sofas, and we all sat out there, and they had food and drink and were carrying on. And B was very nervous that night. You know, and she was singing The Man in the Moon, and she was like, The Man in the Moon, The Man in the Moon. I said, what are you doing this, B? I said, you, you know this song, just relax, you know. She said, oh, why do we put ourselves, why do we put ourselves through all this, all the time to do these things? Why do we do it? Why do we do it? I said, well, I don't know about you, I said, but I just love it. I just love mm. it. She said, oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That voice, which is much deeper than mine, yeah, <laughs> it's like an octave lower. <laughs> but God, how brilliant is B. Arthur? Yeah, oh that my God, a genius, comic genius, comic genius. And Billy has some great, had some great stories about her. So go ahead and take a listen to his interview that we did with him. Now these, these are our last two that I think we're going to talk about, and they both died this month, and they were both ones that you just said. I remember getting the news alerts, and I was like, huh? That can't, 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 can't be right. Um, and the first uh, is Anne Reinking, who we interviewed earlier this year. Who Just was a months ago? I did not know her up until that interview. And any interaction we had setting up that interview, she treated me like we had been lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. And I, and that seems to be the thing that comes out about her the most in people remembering her is that she just had a love of humanity and we were so lucky to get her for that interview. And once again, a big thanks to Michael Kubala who set up the interview for us. Leroy, what did you know? And did you work with her? What were your memories? No, well, we've known each other forever, but we were never in a show together. So we just knew each other socially, but she, you know, there's a thing about dancers, I can tell you. And how Prince talked about it once, he said, there's something that the dancers have like this fraternal organization you can never be a part of unless you are a dancer. They have a whole different way of behaving and talking. And, and we were all part of that dancer thing, like Gwen and Cheetah and, you know, and Donna McKechnie and all of the, you just go down the list. We're joined together in this little thing. And we just, whenever we see each other, it's like old times. And I think we're respectful because most of us came out of the chorus and worked our way up. So we have a, a, a respect you know, for everyone. And uh, we're, we don't, we're not above being who we are. And wherever you saw her, she was Annie. She was just lovely and charming to be with, helpful. The last time we were all together was when Donna was being inducted into the uh, uh, the Hall of, uh, what is it, the Waller Hall of Fame there, you know. With, yes, you know, the Gershwin. Yeah. yeah, the Gershwin. And, and we were all together. We had such a good time that night. Mm-hmm. And I know that one of my last memories, we were sitting there and, and Anne looked at me with that wonderful face. She said, you know, Bobby loved you so much. You were one of his favorite people. Oh, and that's, that's the last time we were together. We were reminiscing about, you know, Fosse and all of that. And we were all bonded. Yeah. yeah. That's thank you for sharing that. That's just beautiful. Yeah, really um, and a a brilliant dancer. Do you remember the first time Leroy you saw her on stage? Uh, I think it was probably in uh, over there or over here. 
And then, of course, I saw her in the, and you know, a lot of the shows, but I didn't know her. Yeah. You know, and when she was a chorus girl in the early part, it's only when she started getting principal things that we became acquainted. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, did you ever get to see her on stage or do you have any memories of her? Uh, I'm trying to think. No, I grew up with her in the movie Annie, of course, because oh, that yeah. was just my childhood. Um, but I don't know if I ever got to see her live because she didn't perform as much in the last couple decades. Um, I, re- I remember her Tony performance when they did the touring production of Bye Bye Birdie when she was with Tommy yeah. Toon. Yes. Remember that? And that Tony performance clip when they were doing tours. Uh, and I still loved her then, you know. And I, But uh, more than anything, I just I liked her. Um, I, I liked that I heard about her from so many of my friends that I worked with over the years. People that either worked with her in that Broadway camp they did in Florida that mm-hmm. she was the head of, you know, where she educated and trained people, young people, um, or just dancers. I had a lot of friends that became stage managers that were dancers in either Fosse or uh, in other or Sweet Charity and other shows that she was a part of, and it just the the reverence that people have, yeah. uh, and that same thing you're talking about, Leroy, that 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 camaraderie that dancers have, that like we're we're like we're we're all of this together, and 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 that just she was like the queen of them all in in many ways because she survived the longest too. And I, um, I didn't see Good Time Charlie. Uh, because uh, I think I was working then, you know. Of course. had the same schedule, and, and I, mm-hmm. I never got to see that show. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, but she obviously, you know, was playing Joan of Arc. That's a pretty right. good part, I would. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she she was one of those people that I don't think was capable of giving a bad performance because she never gave less than 110%. And, you know, like everyone is saying, you met her, and yes, the, the fraternity of dancers, but I think there was also the family of theater. And if you said you were part of theater, regardless of what level you were at, whether you were one of these kids or you were an old pro, she enveloped you and it, and it was family. Um, that That death really shocked me. That one that came through, I could not believe that. And then the last one, this oh. was this was one that I think we all had dreaded that it was going to come sooner rather than later. Um, and that is the great Rebecca Luker, the the most gorgeous soprano you've ever heard. The one of the loved in the business, just beloved at the business. The message, the outpouring of love and experiences that people had with her. That's the thing that moved me more than anything is just the yeah. love. You have to think, and I saw a lot of current Broadway performers say this, but so many of them grew up in the 90s wearing out their CDs and cassettes to her voice. And the number of people that her talent has influenced is just mammoth in the short amount of time that she was actually put on this earth. Uh, Secret Garden, Music Man. uh, I remember seeing her in Nine. uh, Just just an incredible, incredible voice. A showboat. Showboat, of course, showboat. Um, Leroy, did you have uh, any in, uh, interaction with her at all? Yes, yes, I did. Uh, we did industrial together. Uh, oh. Mia Grau, okay. it together, who had, she did great things and she had a, a client and we went out to, you, you know the commercial on TV about, come say the ballroom. I got that, yeah. the ballroom over in the borough someplace that kind of, well, she rented that and she did a, a Phantom of the Opera evening that we all put together. And I was going to play the Phantom and uh, Rebecca was going to be, you know, Christine. And then we had a group of chorus people and all of that. It's like, the day before the concert, I got so sick. 
and I lost my voice, which seldom happens, but it, well, I'm human like everybody else. I was in terrible shape. And I called me, I said, Mia, I don't know how I'm going to get through. I can't sing. She said, what you've got to do, we can't rebuild. So I went over and Rebecca was so understanding and sweet about it. I don't know what I sounded like. I probably sound like Judy Canova on drugs, but uh, <laughs> we got, we got through it, but she was so helpful and supportive. And then, you know, we did uh, a concert version of The Music Man down in Texas and uh, just delightful to work with, easy to work with, a great sense of humor and that voice. And the thing that I am so grateful for during this period, which really helped so much, at least for me, everybody posting her concert performances that we got to hear that voice again. I was spent all day just going to those sites, listening to her sing because she had that soprano voice that the bottom, the middle, the top were all good. She never had a break. That voice was, and then her interpretation as a singer. Oh my God, I just said, thank God we have that as a remembrance because when everyone says, what did Rebecca Luker do? Listen to this. And you just hit the button and there she is looking so beautiful and singing like a bird. And oh my God, how fortunate we all are to have seen her, to have been in her company. I treasure every single moment I had with her. She she agreed agreed. She was just a special individual, and I think what what I've loved seeing is not only just the testament to who what her talent was like on stage, but the work ethic she had off stage, and the the great sense of humor that she had. I think sometimes mm. people people go, oh, you know, uh, I, don't, I I hate to stereotype, but sopranos they can't be that funny. Blah blah blah. She had a naughty sense of humor. I remember. That, a story about her is when we interviewed her. Um, I don't know if you remember this, Kevin. We, we were at Shetler Studios. Oh, they should have been on our obituary list this year. Shetler Studios, which is gone. Oh, yeah. Um, that, that's an institution that went away. Um, and they were so good to us. Uh, we, were, we were doing the interview, and she knocked over a bottle of water, and it spilled on my pants. And I started drying it off, and, and, and she said, you know, not the first time I got a guy wet down there. And added a wink to it. Added a wink to it. And I said, I I'm so madly in love with you right now. I was not expecting that at all. Um and I think Julia Murney posted something like this, and she said, All young performers, she goes, please look at all the, mo- the testimonials that people are giving to Rebecca. It's about her off stage graciousness. That's right. Not just her talent. And That's I right. think she was such an epitome of that. I am so uh, devastated that we don't have all of these uh, future performances that we could have seen from her. It's a, and we, of course, we send her love to her husband, Danny. Of course, um, yeah, and the family. Yeah. God bless him. What a what a genius, and and I'm sure he's going through it right now. Uh, Kev, do you have any memories of of Rebecca Luker? Uh, just that of of of, of I saw her nine, uh, and I and I w- was a huge fan. I, I just love her because of the it's a it's that classic soprano voice, but yet contemporary musical theater, and we just don't have a lot of singers like that 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 fit that mold so well that that you can do boys from Syracuse and um, and honor that, and yet bring that that era of music to life today. She was the gateway to that, uh, and that introduced so, like you said, Rob, so many young people to 
maybe some songs songs and, and, and shows that they would not have listened to if it weren't for Rebecca Luger and, and how and her art, you know, what, how great she was. I've got a story on nine with Rebecca. Oh, yeah? This is, this is a goodie. So Rebecca was going into nine, and we were talking about Antonio Banderas. And, of course, Antonio Banderas. I mean, my God, when I saw the show, I thought, if I could jump the orchestra pit, whatever I could get hold of before they threw me out the door, it might be <laughs> worth the effort. Because I was so taken by him, and he never missed a performance. All the women in the show were in love with him. And Rebecca said, well, you know, when I was going into the show, uh, he pulled me into his dressing room. He said, now, you know, Rebecca, <clears throat> I have to discuss this with you. I'm a married man. And you're a married woman, and I respect that. But when I act on stage, I really get into what I'm doing so that when I kiss you, I'm really, I want to really kiss you. <laughs> and I said, well, Rebecca, what did you say to that? She said, well, I said, well, I guess it'll be okay. I said, well, this is what I would have said. I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're talking about. Could you show me now? And until I get it right, uh, at the 15-minute call, <laughs> could I come in and we can practice till we get it just right the way you like it? I said, that's what I would have said. <laughs> I love it. Leroy is the naughty Jiminy Cricket on everybody's shoulders. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, folks, that was, I mean, that this was our, our 2020, and you, maybe you'll listen to this years from now. Um, and... You know, I'm hoping that next year when we do this again, our list is smaller and slimmer. Uh, but, Leroy, we are always so happy to see you. And well, I, I, I love you, Rob. I love you, Kevin. And this is one of the delights of my life. And during this time, to be able to sit and have this conversation and laugh. And, and we all love the theater and all the people in it so much. It's nice to share that. So it's like, you know, being in group therapy. Yes. We'd have to pay a lot of money to do what we're doing now. Right. Uh, but we don't have to. We've got each other. That's and right. Truer words were never spoken. Well, folks, we wish you um, a happy new year. Uh, we wish you good health and happiness. And I think we all cannot wait till we are back in the theater again, hopefully yes. soon. Until we can celebrate next... the art together. Yes. 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 Until, until... I'm going to leave you with this. We've been through COVID 19 and we're here. There you go. It's good that's to it. 2021. <laughs> that, that's the ending. That is the ending. Uh, Till next time, everyone. Happy Bye -bye. New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And a big thanks to the punchy players, Jeff Marquis, who is bringing back Lucy, Betty, Judy, and Morda shill for us. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you come in. In order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us just one star and you can make us feel as baddie, baddie, bad as Annie did in that really weird production in Boston where Annie dreamt that she was being adopted, but then she ended up back where in the orphanage, right back where she started. Yeah, true story. Rob saw it. Yes, and it was batty. It was bizarre. I was there. I was. 
Oh, God. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor, and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.